oversaw his estate, assessed court cases as a magistrate, and administered Bordeaux as the most easygoing mayor in its history. All the time, he wrote exploratory, free-floating pieces to which he gave simple titles. Of friendship, of cannibals, of the custom of wearing clothes, how we cry and laugh for the same thing, of names, of smells, of cruelty of thumbs, how our mind hinders itself, of diversion, of coaches, of experience. Altogether, he wrote a hundred and seven such essays. Some occupy a page or two, others are much longer, so that most recent editions of the complete collection run to over a thousand pages. They rarely offer to explain or teach anything, Montaigne presents himself as someone who jotted down whatever was going through his head when he picked up his pen, capturing encounters and states of mind as they happened. He used these experiences as the basis for asking himself questions. Above all, the big question that fascinated him as it did many of his contemporaries. Although it is not quite grammatical in English, it can be phrased in three simple words. How to live. This is not the same as the ethical question, how should one live? Moral dilemmas interested Montaigne, but he was less interested in what people ought to do than in what they actually did. He wanted to know how to live a good life, meaning a correct or honourable life, but also a fully human, satisfying, flourishing one. This question drove him both to write and to read, for he was curious about all human lives, past and present. He wondered constantly about the emotions and motives behind what people did. And since he was the example closest to hand of a human going about its business, he wondered just as much about himself. A down-to-earth question, how to live, splintered into a myriad other pragmatic questions. Like everyone else, Montaigne ran up against the major perplexities of existence, how to cope with the fear of death how to get over losing a child or a beloved friend, how to reconcile yourself to failures, how to make the most of every moment so that life does not drain away unappreciated. But there were smaller puzzles, too. How do you avoid getting drawn into a pointless argument with your wife or a servant? How can you reassure a friend who thinks a witch has cast a spell on him? How do you cheer up a weeping neighbour How do you guard your home? What is the best strategy if you are held up by armed robbers who seem to be uncertain whether to kill you or to hold you to ransom? If you overhear your daughter's governess teaching her something you think is wrong, is it wise to intervene? How do you deal with a bully? What do you say to your dog when he wants to go out and play, while you want to stay at your desk writing your book? In place of abstract answers, Montaigne tells us what he did in each case, and what it felt like when he was doing it. He provides all the details we need to make it real, and sometimes more than we need. He tells us, for no particular reason, that the only fruit he likes is melon, that he prefers to have sex lying down rather than standing up, that he cannot sing, and that he loves vivacious company and often gets carried away by the spark of repartee.
but he also describes sensations that are harder to capture in words, or even to be aware of. What it feels like to be lazy, or courageous, or indecisive, or to indulge a moment of vanity, or to try to shake off an obsessive fear. He even writes about the sheer feeling of being alive. Exploring such phenomena over twenty years, Montaigne questioned himself again and again and built up a picture of himself, a self-portrait in constant motion, so vivid that it practically gets up off the page and sits down next to you to read over your shoulder. He can say surprising things. A lot has changed since Montaigne was born, almost half a millennium ago, and neither manners nor beliefs are always still recognizable. Yet to read Montaigne is to experience a series of shocks of familiarity which make the centuries between him...